The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on, listeners, to this free preview of Dunked On Prime. We're going to be running these all week here, and I hope you will consider subscribing because you can get five or six ad-free podcasts per week with Dunked On Prime. Link to do that is in the description. All right, welcome on to now published author Seth Partnow. How you doing, man? Doing all right. I mean, I you know, I've 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 had things that have been published before, but never at uh, at book length. So that's that's different. Uh, what was that book signing like that you did uh, with uh, Eric Name a little bit ago? I was a lot of fun. I was I was I was thinking there'd be like five people there. Some of them would be related to me, and actually, uh, we ended up getting a getting a pretty good crowd out there to the uh, thanks to the Broken Bat Brewery and here in Milwaukee. It was a lot of fun. A lot of people had some good questions. Um, a few people had some basically posed as Twitter egg trolls when asking their questions, but it was all in good fun. Got the uh, why does Goody, Rudy Gobert get played off the floor in the playoffs question with a guy with a big, you know, big shit eating smirk on his face asking, it, just knowing that it was going to set me and Dave off. So, you know, uh, you know, uh, achievement unlocked, I guess. But that no, was a lot of fun. It was it, it was uh, very gratifying to, to see kind of that many people were actually interested. It's like, hey, come come on a randy, random Tuesday night. To look yeah, here, you be said, very nerdy about basketball. You're like on your way to becoming like a Milwaukee local legend now. You are like embedded in the community. <laughs> you, you're starting to like know the people who matter. You're, I mean, uh, you know, it can't be Anchorage man forever, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about this book a little bit. Um, this is a, a very basic question that I like to ask people who write books. Why did you write it and why should people read it? Um, I wrote it. Um, so when I came back to the public side, I always had you know an idea in my mind. Someday I'll write a book. I didn't really have an idea for what that book would be. Um, and then kind of around the all-star break uh, 2020, which is somehow three seasons ago or something like that, um, <laughs> uh, someone from Triumph Books called me up and said, hey, uh, you'd be interested in writing a kind of a, 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 a basketball from a statistical perspective book. And and it seemed like, yeah, I'll think about it. And then all of a sudden we had uh, much time on our hands um, when kind of there were no games. So we kind of put our heads together and thought about what the book should be and the short version is, is there's um, we had an idea that that kind of made sense with both what was out there and what I wanted to write is there's about five books a year that come out every year that are, you know, be a better baseball fan, be a smarter baseball fan. Here's some, here's some stuff, you know, behind the scenes of how baseball works. We don't really get those for basketball very much. And so that's, that's a little bit what I wanted to do because there's a lot of people who've written like those books and they've been uh, both educational, uh, well-argued and uh, very readable and, and fun. And that's, 
um, those were kind of the things I was trying to balance. I was probably successful at some more than others, but that's that was sort of the the niche I was trying to hit. And then on top of that, it's the the age old sort of nerds versus jocks question, and you know analytics is only shooting threes and. Um, I wanted to take a pass at explaining basketball analytics in um, a way that made it clear that it's not something different than basketball. It is basketball. Just, you know, maybe using slightly different nomenclature, slightly different viewpoint, um, but really yeah. to, to sort of bridge that gap to so the, the, that you can have, uh, you know, debates and discussions about the impact of analytics on basketball, but at least describe it right. And we'll start from there and then we'll have the discussion. And hoping to move the discussion more to that kind of agreed upon what is this thing we're actually talking about yeah i remember early on in the book you, you quoted boris mccracken who's a is he the guy who came up with defense independence yep pitching yep. statistics yep. in baseball yeah. yeah i used to i was a huge baseball nerd back in the day i was i was like reading baseball prospectus and rob nyer in 1998 i even went to a couple of baseball prospectus pizza hangouts in like the early <laughs> 2000s but i I've long since passed in my uh, my baseball fan card, but so w- what he said is basically because I forget who we were. He works for some team now, right? Uh, At the time, I believe he worked for the 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 formerly Cleveland Indians, soon to be Cleveland Guardians. Is it? Is that what yeah. they that the name they've chosen? It is. Yeah, I was sad they didn't. Uh, my brother in law is a, a big Indians fan. I I was sad they didn't bring back Cleveland Spiders. Yeah, been, Spiders is right there. Sick. Yeah, sick mascot. Um, I mean, and yeah, you know they're the worst team ever in baseball history in 1899 but come on <laughs> it, it, you can recycle it after 122 years right Only um, one way to go so but anyway what he said is a quote that you highlighted was and he's obviously a very analytically focused guy that's how he made his reputation is my job is baseball rather than but my job is analytics and so it seemed like that's kind of the philosophy that you tried to apply here to just these are all tools that we can use to get smarter about basketball but that still it all comes down to what you actually see on the court what you actually enjoy on the court no i think that's right and that's that i mean it's certainly i i never felt like when i was you know working for the box i never felt like i was doing i was i had a tech job i, I had a uh, i had a technically yeah, that was facing just your job. underlings right well no even then i mean they had a technically facing job but we're we're in the communication right. business not yeah the, not the software business we maybe if we developed programs for the purpose of doing basketball but we were doing basketball yeah um so and that's the, the idea anything else you want to sell on this thing by by the way well here I, let me ask you this then um what kind of feedback have you gotten have there been certain things that's really like stood out that people really liked or some things that people have taken issue with so far um for the most part i think i think the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive so far um I tried to keep sort of the the math and equations to a bare minimum in the main text. Uh, it's there are they, I used footnotes as kind of a way to put information that wasn't key to what I was talking about, but people might find interesting. And I tried to hide most of the equations in there, but still, like for 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 some people, any any amount of of that is is not their bag, and I I fully. I fully accept that and understand, but I, I made the effort to to make it as understandable to a more lay audience as as possible. But no, the the, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, I think uh, um, some of yeah. the people. Well, I, you'd I, have to be a real dick to say your book sucks, right? Like that's, <laughs> yeah, 
Like, no, you know, I think it, for an article when you're saying, like, a, you, my team is bad or something, that's one thing. But it's like, I think if you're buying the book and reading it, it's probably yeah. going to be relatively favorably inclined to you. Yes, that, 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 that is true. Um, but no, but I think quickly, I, uh, on the footnotes, I love that approach. Um, when I used to write uh, low those many years ago, I would always, I wouldn't say I'd get into fights with my editors, but I was always looking for some way to have footnotes that you could easily access whether it would just show up like below the paragraph in smaller type or you could mouse over it or something because i agree i think and i love the way you presented it you didn't just have oh we're gonna put 35 pages of footnotes at the end of the book that oh yeah hey yeah if you, if you want to know more about this why don't you just flip interrupt your reading and flip all the way to the end uh, on this page and read it and then flip back no one's ever going to do that so to actually have it just at the bottom of the page there i thought that that was really useful i personally really love that format so that was one thing i really appreciated no i've i've definitely always responded to that kind of writing and i think both of us uh with our our legal backgrounds have uh have seen poor use of, of exceedingly <laughs> dry use of footnotes and endnotes. And I, that was certainly not what I was going for. I wasn't going for, you know, blue book citation or anything like that. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think because, I mean, you, I mean, you, you know, this when you're talking about minutia of cap, um, there's sort of the main narrative of, of the thrust of what you're talking about, but there's details beyond that. And you don't want to completely yada yada over the the details, but you don't also want to, for people who don't totally care about that, you don't want to, you know, bog them down in a mire of, of, you know, wherewiths and all these, uh, you know, and, and sub clauses and stuff like that. So I, that was the balance I tried to strike to, you know, get both accessible, but also provide some, a little bit more of the deeper analysis for people who are, are more interested in sort of the nuts and bolts. Yeah. And for everyone who, who's going to check out the book, uh, I can assure you, Seth is even better at writing than he is at talking. So uh, you should de <laughs> definitely get, definitely give it a shot. Um, so to kind of transition a, a little bit here, you know, this this is you work with the Bucks for a long time, but you you've also been trying to communicate in the public space for a while. You wrote this book now for younger analytics dorks who are getting into whatever whatever team field you're working in, or maybe even in working for some company not in sports. I mean, you run into this issue as well, just in normal companies where you have to find a way to translate these numbers to be useful for people, so they're either their eyes don't glaze over or they don't have this immediate oh this isn't the way i brought up this can't be right reaction do you have any general advice for people who work with numbers on how to communicate with people who are not so numerically inclined but also a lot of times make decisions sure so the first thing is uh really know your subject um i think the most important sort of error check that that people who are really good at sports analytics have is sort of a nose for well, that's not right you know what did i do wrong let me fix let me let me double check let me triple check yeah um just so you don't if if you don't to really know what you're looking at it's not just the output of a of a model, and that's the answer. Um, basketball is a complex game with with push and pull, and you know knowing how things work together a little bit can can really help you understand when when your results just don't make any sense. And it's entirely possible that those results are actually correct, and you've discovered something new. 
but I see a lot of people go wrong. Just, oh, look what I found and, and throw it out there and haven't, you know, done the requisite, like thinking through the logic of it or done the, the, the kind of the exploration of their data before they, they come to that. That's sort of the, the, on the technical side. On the other side, um, the part that really gets neglected a lot, I think, and this is true in a lot of even public analytics in, in multiple sports today, is the communicative aspect of it. Um, now, whether that's writing, whether that's data visualization, whatever, uh, I think many people are too um, willing to, oh, here's a here's an output of a regression model, just drop it as a table. As you can clearly see, it's like, well, okay, some people can clearly see, but um, <laughs> but most, but it's hard for most people to read. And furthermore, like people need a story, people need a narrative. Narrative kind of gets a bad rap as sort of this this fake thing. No, that's we don't understand as people, we don't understand how things work unless there's a story that is attached to it. And so you need to you know create those stories, uh, and that's not making stuff up. That's just the here's what's happening. Here's why it matters. Let me show you a comparison that illustrates this. Um, so so is, you like you like introducing the conclusion before you introduce the chart. Think it, that, do you think that's easier? Or even even having just the discussion of what you're looking at, like what's the basketball yeah. thing we're talking about, and then so we you know you, you you give that some color, and then so in those terms, here's who's good at this, here's who's bad at this, and then you maybe talk about a little bit about how you got there, but not excessively how you got there, just enough so that people know that you that they should believe what you just said. Um, and I, I think that's, uh, there's a very uh, a, a good thread on, on Twitter the other day. Uh, it was written by uh, Tegan Ashby, who's a, who's a developer for the Nets, formerly of the Sixers as well. Uh, and she was talking very much about the the importance of just really of, of design in in statistical and presentation, just and just making it easier for your your audience. I think the word she used was empathy. Think of how they're going to approach this information and put it in in a way that is comfortable and palatable to them. And I think that's that's the part that's very hard to teach kind of in rote that just takes reps. There's no substitute for, I can't teach you how to communicate uh, statistics or analytics uh, other than saying, you know, community practice, go for it, like do some analysis and practice presenting it, whether it's written, whether it's viz, whether it's, you know, presentational at a small college, a small conference or like a college, like analytics club or something like that. There's the, the first couple of times anyone does it, it's going to be terrible. It just is. Just like the first thing you write is terrible. The first, the first draft of this book was terrible, but by iterating on it and 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 getting those reps, it gets better. And there's just no substitute for like anything else. There's no substitute for that that practice. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was thinking of it as you were talking that you mentioned uh, the word empathy and just to to put yourself in the position of hey, what what was it like for me when I first didn't understand this stuff and or moreover how would I feel if someone were coming to me in a field that I thought I was an expert in with new data that is completely different from what my conclusions are and you know this, this isn't exactly how this phrase arose but the idea that extraordinary uh, conclusions and require extraordinary support or, or 
whatever the version of that phrase is that you want to use, that it may not be an extraordinary conclusion to you, but it's probably an extraordinary conclusion if it's something different to someone who's been in basketball for 20 years and doesn't understand how this works. And so you do have to really go through it and and explain, hey, here's here's what the thinking was and here's the evidence of like, all right, maybe this isn't true and you know, maybe there's even some other things that we've evolved on, you know, and this is the next version of that. You know, think think of maybe there's something else that this person's thinking has evolved on over the last 5 or 10 years and now you can try to compare it to that or just to get into that mindset of this is really something that is going to be new to this person and that also counteracts their beliefs and try to be open to that. I, I am very, this doesn't actually, I would say this happens less now than it maybe happened five or seven years ago, that there are fewer people out there in basketball analysis who are just like, oh yeah, this is the truth. You're an idiot for not getting it. You know, I think we've kind of gotten past that or those people, frankly, have kind of been bypassed a little bit in the mainstream discussion. Um, And so I, I think that's a good thing but you, you really want to guard against that uh, running into that issue in, in terms of uh, communication uh, with people who are kind of you know, hearing this sort of stuff for the first time uh, that's certainly part of it and then the other part is just is again the language um you 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 led with the mccracken quote and i think that's right is you know you communicate in basketball you may have done statistical analysis but if you're not communicating it in basketball terms a person who's a basketball lifer isn't gonna they 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 might even try they may be open but if you can't put it in basketball terms or football terms or whatever sport you're doing it's gonna be just that much harder for them to come with you it's you're you know you're you're asking them to take on information in a second language that they maybe are just learning and and really the 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 sort of the foreign language analogy is is just is a really good one because I mean, I think that, that, you know, we as basketball people know some of the basketball terminology. We start to hear like football terminology and it's like, I caught one out of every three words and knew what it meant. Um, and so that's kind of the experience that people are having when we start throwing like uh, regressions and, you know, uh, uh, technical, ter- very technical terms at them, where if we're talking about, you know, uh, shot quality or, or, you know, you know, offensive rebounding or, or, you know, the, that that's the genius of kind of the four factors that, that Dean Oliver came up with is, you know, it boils down to, okay, what we're doing is we're saying, take and make good shots, take care of the ball, get to the free throw line rebound, finish your defensive possession rebounds. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things we're tracking. Your your coach starting in junior high or earlier, that's exactly what they said. So this is that's that's almost a perfect synergy between like uh turning what is a, a statistical like measure of these things into basketball terms that everyone gets because they're very familiar with. So let's uh get into basketball as they call it uh, and how it's being played this season. And one of the things that I noticed in the book was in talking about a lot of the trends that you had, you kind of, and you can break in here if you feel like I'm not summarizing it accurately, but basically you kind of viewed 2018-19 as the last real year uh, because there was just so much crazy shit that happened over 2020 and 2021. And so what was the reason that you decided to approach it that way? What do you think is different about those years where you feel like, hey, I, I just didn't 
feel comfortable using the data from those? Um, it, it's I feel comfortable using the data. It's it's maybe I I, I worry yeah sorry that that, that was that was yeah. way too oversimplified. Yeah. I no, but I but I do I do wonder about how predictive that data is because um just like playoff basketball is different than regular season basketball. The, certainly bubble basketball was different than normal like the the normal NBA season. So all these things were were different in the bubble, and we, we've speculated on a number of reasons why. I mean, fouls. I mean, one one of my favorite theories for fouls is because with nobody in the arena, every little slap was audible, and so the refs were, oh, I heard that, and and when maybe they wouldn't have seen it if there was kind of the ambient noise, and so they called it. Um, you know, shooting was up, free throw shooting and three point shooting. Um, I my preferred theory for that is it was a lot about the lack of travel and the associated increase in sleep or or more regular sleep um but also going into uh the 2020 21 regular season um a lot of the hot shooting that we saw from the bubble with maybe the exception of anthony davis whose bubble performance remains <laughs> a massive outlier um but shooting everywhere else was up and and I kind of think that has a lot to do with lack of fans in the stands um, for a, f- a few different reasons. Um, N- uh, namely? Uh, well, just like a lot of it was the shots along the sideline were, were in particular seemed to be more accurate. And I was, I wanted mm. to check, I originally wanted to check this out to see if like somehow uh, the benches being more recessed in like the bubble or, or the, the, the way the court was set up uh, last year had something to do with it. And what I actually had found was that there was no benefit to shooting in front of of one's own bench as compared to the opposition's bench or just back to the crowd. So that kind of made me think that just, you know, shooting with nobody in your space probably was a little easier. Even if like the fan is like, you know, four feet behind you and, you know, that's just someone in your space. And it's not a huge yeah. difference. Like as a shooter, there's always just like this slight awareness of something is around me. If I jump, I might land on something. Even, yeah. Even no matter how many times you do it. And obviously all your practice attempts are going to be without somebody there too. So yeah. the vast majority of shots will come in that scenario. Um. So they, they, they just seemed fundamentally different. The environment seemed fundamentally different. And frankly, towards the end of last year, as fans started to get come back and in the playoffs, I think we started to return to something more normal. And so I think that it it was not a good three-point shooting playoffs at all. Although the the Milwaukee Bucks making it to the finals, it might've been just (laughs) entirely responsible for that on their own. Uh, That may have weighted the sample a little. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So it's not that it's not that the, 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 what happened didn't happen. It's just that it's maybe not as predictive of what's going to happen in the future. And I think that, you know, we saw some crazy scoring and shooting performances last year. So there's, there's a number of players who, um, you know, have, have progressed a little from last year and and means maybe last year was a little bit of a high watermark just from like a talent standpoint, but also, it was a kind environment. And um, I think we're seeing this year is a less kind environment. Now, whether it's, you know, the combination of the fans being back, the short off season, uh, the, 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 the rule changes, people have speculated about the ball, um, continued strategic development of the game. So there's all these different things that are going on that have made this year, I think, look closer to 2018, 19 than certainly last year. Though that's like 2018, 19 with 
you know, two or three extra years of, of strategic development and, and, uh, and a couple of, of rule tweaks as well. So it's not totally the same, but it seems more of a piece than kind of bubble and fanless ball did. Yeah. A couple of things I, I would add to that too. My personal opinion is the biggest difference in is the officiating changes and i think my best guess i think the fans probably does matter i would also say that last year's schedule really mattered where both in terms of guys who are out guys getting up at 6 a.m to test all the time so quickly we've forgotten what that was actually like for guys good players missing time due to covid the year of the calf with all, all these injuries and pulled muscles and stuff and you know the grizzlies having to play 40 games and the Spurs are going to play 40 games in the second half of the year. And there's just a lot of weird stuff going on. No crowd, I think. It's interesting of whether is it just that no crowd makes more shots go in? Is it that with no crowd, the team is not exhorted to defend as well and close out as well? I think it would ultimately would just be impossible to figure that out I mean, maybe you would have to you would have to look i guess at some of the second spectrum data yeah one get into that a little bit yeah go, yeah go ahead if you have anything on that one day um and it ended up around 39 league wide accuracy on uncontested threes that is threes with the defender at least six feet away uh when the shot is taken usually that's in the 38s now for most of last season it was up around 39 five which mm. is you know a whole percentage point higher now that might not sound like much but for but for a stat that's kind of varied, you know, just sort of in the 38s for the entire time we've had tracking data, it was like you know a point and a half higher than kind of normal. Uh, so that's that's sort of one of the the things that I looked at that that I think indicated to me that the it was just a little bit kinder of environment. Interestingly, so far this year, it's the lowest it's ever been. It's like 37.3 uh, is is the league wide uh, accuracy on uncontested threes uh, entering. Uh, entering Tuesday night's games. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So I'm uh, interested to see uh, where that goes uh, the rest of the year. And, you know, some of it could be the ball. Mark Cuban is saying, hey, there's the issue. We've seen guys shooting much worse in practice as well with the new ball. And they've never done that before. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how much to take at face value from uh, Cuban uh, at this point in time. And he, was, he wasn't necessarily trying to make some big point that, like, action needed to be changed. He did at least to his credit saying there, hey, it doesn't, it's not better or worse. Like, it's just different. But uh, I'll be interested to see whether the guys can adjust. I, I do think it seems like in the last couple of weeks, some of these guys are doing a little bit better than they had been who had seen the drop off. My theory, though, is the biggest thing. And I think not only do you just have the statistical effect of, hey, even one jump shot per game turning into instead like a pump fake, jump into the guy, throw up some stuff and get three shots, uh, you know, especially because I looked at it earlier. I'm not sure. Maybe you've, you've looked at it more recently that uh, above the breakthrough were much more affected by corner three-point shooting at least early on let's see if i can find that again but um so corner three-point shooting you usually don't have like those kind of shot fake type of fouls um uh, or the like you know you're not shooting a step back in the corner right, unless, right. Uh, james harden every once in a while um but then also not only are you having the fact that one shot per game isn't being turned into a three-shot foul you also have that on every other shot a guy can get just a little bit better of a contest because he's not worried about you pump faking him and jumping forward five feet and slamming into you and you being called for a foul. I'd even go a little further than that. I think it yeah. goes even further upstream. Um, I think we're seeing because the sort of the dart behind the screen and flail up in the air as soon as you feel the tiniest bit of contact. Now that that isn't being called nearly as much 
um, defenders just have more of a chance to stop things at the point of attack. And so it's just a little bit harder for the offense to create advantage, which means it's a little bit harder for teams to, to kind of generate, you know, quality offensive possessions. Not like, you know, it's not like full hand checking, shove a guy out to half court, but it's enough to, I think, get the balance just back a little in from my aesthetic judgment back in a little bit better place in terms of the, the sort of the relative advantage between offense and defense. I think, uh, especially last year, I think we were at a point where it's like, well, how do you defend? If like, if, if Trey young can drive straight at my chest, throw his arms out and, and shoot free throws, like ooh, how can you possibly defend that? And, you know, and not to pick on Trey, because it's, you know, he, 30 guys around the league did the same thing. Um, and now it's, that's, it's just harder to do that. You actually have to create an advantage for the most part to get to the foul line. Um, and, and I think that is certainly, I think that has affected offense and frankly made for a better flowing, more competitive game. Yeah, I would agree with you on that entirely. It's really nice just to not be banging your head against the wall three or four times a game at a play where you're just like, that's not, you're being rewarded for something that's not basketball. Um, anything that's popping out to you that we haven't talked about yet in terms of the statistical markers of, of that we could attribute to the officiating changes, if anything? Uh, no, I mean, I think it's like you, you, it's, it's clear that, that fewer fouls are being called this year. Fouls on three pointers are, I haven't looked in the last uh, 10 days or so, but at, at one point earlier, uh, there were about half as many three shot fouls uh, being called, uh, relative to, to, to attempts. Um, so, uh, that's, you know, that I think that certainly matches sort of your, your, your intuition about what's going on. The thing I'm really interested in seeing is, and I wrote about this, I don't know, about a month ago, is that we often see like at the start of the year, okay, we're going to cut down on traveling, uh, you know, and so a lot of travels get called the first two, two, three, four, five weeks of the season, and then it kind of tails off. Um, wondering if we're going to see any of that effect. This certainly doesn't seem like we are. Like I, the NBA seems pretty happy, um, both, you know, you know, there's been stuff put out in public and, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had some of the same conversations I've had where people are pretty happy with, with, you know, the effect of that rule change. And now if we can just get rid of this damn take foul, we'll be in a really good place. Um, so I don't think that like those kind of fouls are going to start creeping back up again. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And maybe there's a few instances where there's been hand check contact on the perimeter where maybe it shouldn't be called or, or where it should be called. It's not being called yet. But I agree. I've been really enjoying the basketball so far this year. Any teams that is kind of stuck out to you as being helped or hurt by these changes in interpretation? Uh, Bulls. First, first team that comes to mind. I think that the way that uh, that Caruso and Ball are able to defend at the point of attack is huge. Is is very much benefited. The fact that Caruso can get his chest on a guy over the top of a screen and it not be a foul. Um, and I don't think yeah. I don't think it is a foul. And I think that because he's able to do that about as well as any player in the league, I think that has been a huge benefit to the Bulls uh, in terms of their overall defense. In terms of you know them putting a credible defense on the floor, despite you know for most of the time having you know one okay defender in Vucevic and two mediocre or worse defenders in in you know in Levine and, and DeRozan on the floor because those two guys are so good at the point of attack because they can be now. 
yeah i do think that there's something to be said that teams with good perimeter defenders i think when it's said and done miami is going to be a team that's really going to benefit pj tucker as we saw games entire games last year would turn in that series against the the nets on whether he was allowed to be crazy physical against KD or not. Uh, part of it was off ball too, which supposedly has not been changed at all, but he, even on ball as well. And the Heat have a bunch of really strong guys. And so when you have strong guys who can just even just get their hands on guys a little bit, and then the guy can't just immediately flail and barf something up and get a foul call, it, they're still in theory calling all this hand check stuff. But it, in reality, you just, if you're not going to reward non basketball moves, you can't call as many of those. And so I think that with Lowry and Bam and Tucker and Jimmy Butler, I mean, they got the, kind of the new evolution, and it's not a surprise that Tucker is on this team, of that Houston team that just had a bunch of linebackers out there. And I, I think this Heat defense is going to be really, really difficult to score on in um, the playoffs. I, frankly, I think that that's something that probably doesn't, doesn't uh, I don't think Milwaukee would be too uh, upset to see that either. I mean, between, you know, Giannis and Drew Holiday and, and you know, Grace Allen is kind of sneaky physical and yeah. uh, or even so yeah is like kind of a, a, a Caruso type of defender yeah and and so I think that they and especially you know if 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 and when we see you know Brooke Lopez back obviously you know physicality is not something that hurts him defensively at all um, I think it helps Golden State too uh, because they weren't as reliant on getting to the foul line to begin with. Like Steph Curry, I mean, he did a little bit of that stuff and he was ridiculously, do you say ridiculous? Oh, that was a very Seinfeld moment <laughs> right there. The, the, the Ryans were crossed. Um, but uh, he was ridiculously the poster boy because he had the one play where he tried to jump into the guy in the first preseason game in Portland and they didn't call it. And that was one that was so ridiculous that it probably wouldn't even been called last year. But n- nonetheless, he then became the poster boy for it. He actually showed up in the league video as well, but he did very little of that compared to some of the, the more egregious defenders. And clearly that type of fall drawing was not a major part of his game. And and so the Warriors get a lot of uncontested stuff. They've never had a particularly big free throw rate, a lot of cutting and stuff off the ball. They're not really very dependent on uh, isolation scoring and uh, they don't do a lot of pick and roll either, which is where a lot of these fouls would, would take place. And so I, I, and then they also have some pretty physical defenders as well. So I, I think they're another team that is going to be in better shape in a lower foul environment. I, I think that's right. Also, um, uh, Draymond is not someone who uh, a, a a reticent whistle is not something that hurts Draymond in a uh, playoff situation. I would say. <laughs> No, I, th- I think that's true. I'm trying to think of who else I, I would say is re- so. Oh, Chris Paul. Could, we- Chris Paul's another one. I mean, a guy who's who's going to you know take every liberty imaginable. Um, you know, in terms of physicality. Yeah, on the defensive end. Yeah, yeah. and it's been surprising. Like some of the guys who you thought would be hurt, like Trey Young, he's having just as good a season as last year in a lower offensive environment. And we'll see. Obviously, if we're a month and a half in, whether that persists or not. Um, let's see. What, what else do we need to talk about here? Um, we can talk about what surprised me this season because you know we've already talked about it a lot and you know the i'm surprised no one has dug up the uh, interview i did with a uh, bay area radio station before the season where i was skeptical of of the warriors even like not being a play-in team which oops Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, do, do you want to do uh do the full uh, mea culpa on, on mean, that one then what, what did you have wrong uh, i mean just just kind of as how good everybody else has been and and 
Steph from start of the season being as good as he was on sort of the run to end last last year. Um, their their overall team defense has been absolutely spectacular. And then like Steph is is you know playing as as well, if not better than he's ever played. Um, and of those two, I think their defense being right back to the elite level is the one that surprised me more. Um, because they're getting it from a lot of sort of unheralded players. Um, you know, Andrew Wiggins is, you know, is a guy who always, you know, oh, great defensive potential, but now is starting to realize that some. But also, like, you know, Looney has been really good for them defensively, bringing, uh, you know, you know Poole, Jordan Poole has been more than credible defensively. Uh, getting, you know, they've, when, when, you know, Juan Toscano Anderson's been on the floor, just, just, Everyone they put on the floor just is locked in and, and knows what they're doing. Um, you know, that, that, I forget who they were playing the other day, and it was like um, uh, Bielitsa is just is, is like getting up into a guy thirty five feet from the basket and and you know turning him the direction they want to go into the teeth of their defense. And it's just, just everyone is so in sync defensively, and um, did not see that coming. And then you add Steph to that, and you know Draymond being you know, defensive player of the year level and, and, you know, one of the best facilitators in the league again, now that, you know, it's, he knows there's something to play for. Um, that's a pretty good team. Pretty, pretty. Yeah. Pretty. Bold, bold take by me. Bold take. They're good. <laughs> They're 18 and two. No, I, I was surprised. I mean, after seeing them in the preseason, I, I thought they'd be pretty good. Um, you know, I, and th- they've gotten stuff from guys like Iguodala and Porter. I don't think people thought they were going to get something from those guys. And uh, Porter in particular has, has really helped them. I've always, I've always thought, I've, I've always really liked Otto Porter and, and, you know, the, it's whether he can physically can hold up and it's sort of like, it's a little bit of the Iguodala 2.0 there where they play him. They, they don't have to play him to the point where he breaks down and just the fact that he is, you know, multifaceted and multi-skilled and very smart player. And also like a underrated, great jump shooter on, on catch and shoot shots. Um, that has been a, a, a huge, you know, a huge bit of extra strength for them because, you know, last year, the problem was is they just had too many bad players on the floor and the other guys have turned out to be, you know, that, that sort of the depth piece is almost turned from a, a weakness to a strength. Now, some of that was, you know, Wiseman hasn't played, um, but still they're just like from, from those like roster spots, like, I don't know, what do you want to say? Like five through nine, they're just getting yeah. so much more than, than I thought they were going to. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And it, it also helps out that Otto Porter lost like 25 pounds. I think that that's been useful for him uh, yeah. <laughs> as, as well. Any, as we wrap up here, you talked about the strategy evolving since 2019 earlier. Any strategic trends that you've seen so far this year, big or small, that have been just sweeping the coaching rooms across the league? I don't know about sweeping, but it does seem like we're seeing a lot more teams using using zone, like or using very matchup zony type switching schemes um, than than we we have before. Um, and that's and that's that's been interesting. I think I think the creativity on defense is maybe finally starting to catch up to to what it's been on offense for for a number of years, and that's that's welcome to see. Yeah, I think you have seen teams 
break that zone out to change games a little bit and i thought uh, earlier this week uh, john hollinger and i did the bulls hornets game and the hornets get back into it on a 21 to 6 run by going zone and the bulls were really struggling to deal with that with their reserve group uh with DeRozan and, and a bunch of non-shooters out there and then the hornets they were able to set up that zone because they scored and then most teams are only going to go zone on a make or a dead ball and so then the hornets stop scoring miss a couple of shots and then the bulls are able to get out and transition and and or attack their man-to-man and kill them again and so but i do think they're you can throw it for a loop particularly out of timeouts a lot of teams are going zone with the theory of hey we're gonna fuck up their ato by by going zone um the fake dho also is huge now like if if uh anytime there's 35 seconds left and there's an inbounds in the quarter the team's gonna just go to the fake dho and try to get right to the rip for for a layup like that's or or if there's seven seconds left and you're down two or you're down one or something like that that's become like the play did you i mean we've seen that before obviously going back like four or five years like i think like valanchunas had had a, a a dunk with that even back when he was in toronto on that but that like everyone's doing that one now um, this would be a david lee staple david lee wow yeah, I, I, I'm glad that I didn't really have to start watching the Warriors that seriously until he was kind of had moved into less relevance. Um, still, still remains one of the most impactful injuries in NBA history is him messing up his hamstring in uh, the 2014 training camp. It's you know some sometimes it's 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 better to be lucky and good is is, is what we're seeing there. <laughs> Um, I think you've you've uh, like I'm I'm cheating because I'm cribbing off the notes you had for the show, but this is one I yeah. wanted to talk about. Also, is the use of kind of of we're seeing a lot of like small small pick and rolls, or even or especially teams that have bigger ball handlers. This is something that you know LeBron teams have done forever, but it's been more to get a switch onto like get a worse defender onto yeah. LeBron. But so many or a, or a pick and pop, too, yeah, right? like J.R. Yeah. Smith. Yep. is the prototypical guy you think of of setting the screen for LeBron with Steph on him and then popping out to but now sort of the the sort of the Bruce Brown model of the uh of the of the instead of the dive and dunk the dive and dish roll man uh with which you know the the bulls are obviously using this a lot they're they're going to a lot of like DeRozan Caruso pick and rolls and letting you know Caruso who you know has some has some guard skills obviously like be the person to get the ball in the in, in the middle of the floor and make a play. I mean, obviously it's something the Warriors um, in their early dynasty had made great use of with, with Draymond and, you know, Oh, well, well, we, you know, okay. We don't have guys who are as big as Draymond, but we have guys who have sort of some of the same passing skills as him. So let's like get them the ball, you know, on the move in that sort of half court fast break situation. And I think that's, that's a, that's a big one that, that teams are going to, which, you know, overall, I think we're at a point where the, the need to have, Guys who can, you know, it's cliche, but have guys who can dribble, pass, and shoot has never been higher, I think, than it is now. Because having guys who can just make plays with the ball, not to be generic, but to that's it's never been more important to have, you know, three, four, five guys on the floor who can do that. Yeah, I would add to that even, you know, the Bruce Brown was the kind of the thing that we saw last year, but most teams were putting like their center on Bruce Brown. It, 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 at one point, it was kind of more teams were going small, but they would still, you need to have someone who can defend with that group, but maybe that guy's not a great shooter like a Bruce Brown or Dial or something. So a lot of times Bruce Brown would be guarded by the center, and so they they wouldn't want to switch the center onto James Harden, uh, for example. The evolution I'm seeing this year is now 
when you don't want to switch your point guard onto the guy and then that guy's rolling to the rim even if he's not kind of that more you know non-shooter type you know whether it's a, a caruso or a guy that you trust to make a decision who's being guarded by the guy that you don't want to switch onto demar Derozan. But they realize, hey, that's a great way to get two on the ball. And now we can have this guy making making a play where usually it's like, all right, that's got to be a big guy so we can get to finish at the rim. But I think teams realize now, no, you it's still having a four on three, even with the guy who's not like some unbelievable finisher going to the basket, that still can be really valuable with that guy making a play and also doing it in transition too. That's the other one. Actually, it's Alvin Gentry's Pelicans who really started doing that with Etuan Moore. And that's getting a lot too of particularly when the bigs aren't back yet. Now that small guy rolling to the rim, he can actually get there quick and finish before the defense arrives. That's, that's another one. Um, so yeah, the, uh, tell us where to find the book and it is the, the mid range theory available on, do you have a preferred seller you would like people to buy it on or anything like that? Um, the, the places that people seem to have had most success getting it the quickest have been either, uh, Amazon or direct from, uh, the publisher triumph books um i i don't really have a preference between the two um i i appreciate i appreciate all the 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 orders and really that's frankly that's been one of the most fun parts about the last couple weeks has been the the kind of everyday people tweeting photos of the uh of the book having just arrived to them i i've I've been really, um, you know, frankly, kind of humbled that the people not only ordered the book, but hey, I like excited enough about it that they that they wanted to put that out there. So that's been fun. It's an awesome accomplishment. I could never do it. It would just be too way too much to write an entire book. But you know, you've done it. Danny's done it. KP has done it. John John has done it a million times. So all all of my my good friends, me and Feldman, are the only ones uh, bringing up the rear at, at this point on our on our chat group. But uh, yeah, that, that will do it here for today. Thanks so much to Seth for joining us. Please check out his book again. And we'll be back to talk to you again soon. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.